0: by A. Hurston. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Marriage of Convenience Fake or Pretend Relationship Alternate Universe Canon Divergence Domestic Fluff BFFs to Lovers Absolute Beginners Written by A. Hurston Read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein. Summary Sometimes a guy goes and marries the Gen Queen, and his buddy needs to help him out. Normal best friend shit. Author's note Set vaguely after Chuck's defeat, but without the empty deal. Canon adjacent? Sure. Reader's note First of all, I just want to thank everyone for listening to uh, my podfix. This is actually going to be number 101 of my podcast. I've actually done more than that on AO3. But if you notice, my voice is a little shot. And uh, this podfic was actually recorded in probably three different areas and at various levels of illness for me. Uh, So if it's a little inconsistent as far as the voices and the, um, the area that like you can kind of tell I'm in a different location. I apologize for that. Uh, the last thing I want to do is kind of pull you out of the story by some of that extraneous stuff, but it is what it is. And I kind of just wanted to get the story recorded instead of just waiting Chapter 1. Do you remember back when I married a Gen Queen? Cass says as he hands Dean his coffee and sits down across from him at the kitchen table. Sam and Jack are out for an ungodly early run, and the kitchen is quiet and peaceful, at least until now. Dean blinks and rubs sleep from his eyes. It's too early for this. No questionable marriage announcements before 7 a.m. Nope, I think I'd remember that. Cass has the gall to shrug, and blithely adds milk to his earl grey until it's the color he always takes it. Dean reminds himself that it's perfectly normal best friend shit for him to know exactly how Cass likes his tea. You were a cartoon at the time. I had recently been returned to Earth from the empty. There were other priorities. Damn, where'd he put that ascot anyway? Sam was wrong, he totally pulled it off. Wonder what the Scooby Gang is up to these days. And you just forgot to mention it later? In the scheme of things, a marriage of convenience didn't really seem important. Dean shakes his head and sighs. Fucking figures. Well, buddy, it looks like you're a bigamist now. What do you mean? Uh, your wife? Back in Colorado, you know, around the time when. He was going for delicacy here. There isn't a neat and tidy way to summarize that borax and black goo era of their lives. Oh, you mean Daphne. Cass smiles, a fond twist to the side of his mouth that makes Dean feel vaguely stabby. We weren't legally wed. She was a deeply religious person, but... Suffice to say, we realized we could help one another. It was never intended to be a permanent arrangement. Dean is confused for a second, and then he thinks of those old-timey Hollywood stars, Cary Grant, Rock Hudson, and the documentaries on the History Channel he's watched at 2 a.m. in motel rooms along the I-80. You're telling me that the first move after walking out of a river buck naked was a lavender marriage? Cass laughs softly, then nods. Essentially, yes. I had an office above her garage where I could perform my miracles with discretion. And she and her neighbor, Veronica, could love one another in peace. And, uh, after I stabbed a demon on your porch? Perfect. A new thing to feel guilty about. Throw it on the pile. Of course it's his fault that a random lady in Colorado Springs can't get it on with her girlfriend, just because Dean whisked away her miracle-performing amnesiac fake husband. I reached out to her several years ago now. She left the church, and she and Veronica are very happy together. Life-threatening experiences sometimes have the effect of clarifying people's priorities. Dean swallows, then brings his coffee cup to his mouth before realizing he's already drained it. Well, all right then, good for them. Back to the gin queen thing then, I guess. Care to elaborate? Cash gestures for Dean's cup then stands to refill it from the pot on the counter. It's stupid how the action makes Dean feel. It's such a small thing. Nothing, really. The queen is demanding satisfaction, Cass says, once he sits back down and slides the coffee across the table to Dean. Do you mean like a country-western duel, or...? The marriage wasn't consummated. And we're approaching the one thousand day mark, which is a significant milestone according to Jeanne custom. Ugh. He should be waggling his eyebrows and making some sort of stupid joke, and instead he pretends to be suddenly fascinated by the table's well worn wood grain. That kind of satisfaction. It's a kiss, nothing more. A suspicious pause. Nothing good comes after a suspicious pause. Well, and a minor union of our energies. It's mostly metaphysical. Sounds sketchy as shit, Dean says, even as his shoulders relax. And if you don't, uh, consummate? Castor's has already stirred tea. There would likely be a minor war. It would be pleasant for no one. Dean grimaces. He's had more than enough cosmic battles, thank you. No chance you get a prenup, is there? Maybe there's hope for Sammy's aborted law career, after all. Attorney to the rich and magical. The contract was written in Old Aramaic on a bewitched papyrus scroll and sealed within a desert cave temple that predates the invention of democracy and cheesecake. So, no. Shit, doesn't sound like a fine print wiggle room type of situation. Wait, cheesecake? first documented by the ancient Greek physician Agimus in the 5th century BCE. It's amazing the length and breadth of humanity's love affair with dairy. And there is one other option. Yeah, obviously, pie. And cake sometimes, if it's not that dry supermarket shit. Or red velvet, gag me. Cass smiles, but it fades quickly. No prenup, unfortunately, but there is a condition that would invalidate the arrangement. If I were to become otherwise engaged. we got to find you another wife? No judgment, but three seems a little excessive, buddy. Uh, no. Cass rubs at the back of his neck. It's like looking in a mirror, Dean's own mannerisms performed back at him. Apparently, he taught an ageless creature made up of spinning wheels and a thousand eyeballs how to feel self-conscious. Only a genuine bond would be a powerful enough nullifying force. That word, bond... Are you saying... What are you saying? He's not going to go out on a limb here without cause. It's awkward. You have to understand, I wouldn't ask if it wasn't absolutely necessary. Please know I've exhausted all other options. Kind of freaking me out, man. Cass visibly steadies himself and meets Dean's eyeline with a seriousness that rivals that of Walter Cronkite telling America to prepare for war. I'm asking if you will marry me. Technically. For diplomatic reasons. Technically, Dean dumbly parrots back, for diplomatic reasons. Possibly before a priest, or a judge. Last time he saw Judge Eddie, he'd been swaying atop the Smith County's VFW St. Paddy's Day Parade float, Guinness Tallboy in hand. Not really the kind of guy who evokes ritual gravitas. And it's gotta be me, because... He's stalling now, of course he is. Gotta give his brain a second to summon all available resources. The neural pathways dedicated to old movie references, gas prices, and the full discography of bands that peaked in the 70s have to be redeployed to the problem at hand. He's marrying Cass, apparently. Are any of his half-dozen fed suits appropriate for a wedding? Do they need witnesses, other than whoever is already stuck in line outside the Smith County DMV window? Are you saying you think I should marry Sam instead? Cass asks. Dean's mind comes to a screeching halt like overheated brakes on bald tires. Hell no, you're not marrying Sam! Cass tips his head to the side, the asshole, acting like he has the balls to be confused. Like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be spelled out in embarrassingly plain English. Why not? Why not? I mean, come on, you know why. You you know. Just drop it, all right? Shit. When's the deadline? By the winter solstice. A quick check of the old mental calendar, then... That's in two weeks, dude! It didn't seem worth troubling you over ahead of time. Dean groans. New rule. You have to tell me when there's an impending war. Right away. Actually, that's not a new rule. That's always been the rule. And Cass takes a small velvet box out of the pocket of his robe and sets it on the table between them. So, is that a yes?
2: So we got straight to the heart And I was a coward and worse to my shame I fell hard upon the weightless wheels That wasted every day Till you were in the pot Like some patron of Washington Square
0: Dean decides to keep the news to himself until dinner. In the meantime, he puts it out of his mind. Sure, the vault is getting a little crowded with all the things he doesn't think about, but what's one more? He doesn't think about marrying Cass while he scrubs the grout in the bathroom, pretreats the most recent round of werewolf induced bloodstains on their laundry, or dusts a ceiling fan or two. He doesn't think about it at all until Sam catches him baking. Cookies or bread? Sam asks, filling a glass with sparkling water at the soda stream that Jody got him for Christmas last year. Unflavored because he's a maniac. Biscuits. Sam nods seriously. You okay? Without answering, Dean pats out a rectangle of dough and gives it a precise envelope fold. He should have gone with sourdough instead. Biscuits need a gentle hand, and if he can't stow his shit, these are going to come out overworked and tough. Sam patiently waits him out as he searches in the drawers for his biscuit cutters. The ring on his left hand clinking against the spoons and whisks. So, I'm marrying Cass. It goes to show how stupid and insane their lives have been, that Sam doesn't immediately react, other than to mildly choke on his fizzy water. You mean, like, for tax purposes? Sam asks as he helps Dean carefully transfer the biscuits to the baking sheet. Face schooled into the professionally non-judgmental expression Dean knows so well. Dean explains.
2: The same old of in my but
0: At dinner, Cass sits beside him which he usually does. There are only so many chairs, a finite number of seating arrangements. It doesn't mean anything to have your buddy knock elbows with you over pork chops and sweet potatoes. Except now it kind of feels like it does. All in all, Sam is giving him way less shit about this whole situation than he expected, which is frankly suspicious as hell. Instead, he compliments Dean's cooking, and asks Cass a steady stream of questions about the socio-political structure of Jin communities. You can't possibly be cool with this, Dean says eventually, annoyed now. Why wouldn't I be cool with it? Sam replies, head tipped innocently to the side. Thank you for your support, Sam, Cass says seriously. He's fucking with us, Dean mutters to him, temper rising. He really should have made bread today. He needs to punch something. Why would he be fucking with you? Jack asks, looking between them. That isn't nice. Are you fucking with them, Sam? Language, Jack, Cass says, voice a loving growl, exactly what fathers are supposed to sound like. Dean said it first. He should put a dollar in the swear jar. What are we saving up for again? Dean asks with a weary sigh. They're going to need a bigger jar soon. At the rate Dean's headed, maybe one of those jumbo pickle jars full of jelly beans at the county fair. The ones where if you guess right, you win a $50 gift card to the bowling alley or whatever. We're saving up for petting zoo feed, Jack says with a Christmas morning smile. It's 50 cents per cup for the goats and ducks, a dollar each for apples and carrots for the donkey. Well then, shit damn fuck, Dean says, fishing in his jacket pocket for his billfold that he still keeps on him out of 40 years of habit. Does hell count? Given our line of work, it seems like it shouldn't, but whatever. Here's five bucks, kid. Cass flashes him a look, unbearably fond, and Dean's neck goes hot. So, guys, Sam says after clearing his throat, how's this thing gonna work? Will a Vegas drive through chapel do the trick? Sam asks. It, um, actually needs to be a bit more serious than that. Cass says. For authenticity, the gin may demand proof. Dean swallows around a too-big bite of biscuit, throat gone tight. What, like actual vows, penguin suits, all that? You said a priest would work earlier. Are the djinn too good for one of the strip's many fine Elvis impersonators or something? Will you kiss? Jack asks, before Cass can answer. Dean can hear his own heartbeat in his ears. He keeps his eyes fixated on his plate, studying the whirls his fork has made through the sweet potatoes and lemon caper pan sauce. In the movies, there's always a kiss. What movies have you been watching? Dean asks, and his voice comes out sharper than he means it to. He's trying with the kid, he really is. "'Remember we watched while you were sleeping last weekend? "'You said I needed to be introduced to the Sandra Bullock era. "'It seemed important.' "'I like Bill Pullman,' Cass says. "'Everybody likes Bill Pullman,' Sam chimes in. "'Can you pass the salad?' Chapter 2. In the baking aisle of the Smith Center Superfoods, Dean realizes something. Shit, I need to get to your ring, don't I? Cass sets the canister of baking powder he'd been studying back on the shelf. Why is there aluminum in this? He mutters, and it's not at all clear whether or not he expects an answer. I don't know, buddy. Something about making it work better? Dean reaches an arm over Cass's shoulder to grab a couple of packets of yeast. It's going to be focaccia week back at the bunker. So, a ring? It's harmless, but I'm sure it leaves a metallic aftertaste. And the option obviously exists to make the product without aluminum. Your species has a long history of considering certain food additives essential only to find better alternatives. And, of course, aluminum isn't the same class as, say, arsenic and chocolate or plaster-dusted milk, but... Dean shudders. Okay, that's just gross. We can spare the extra 88 cents for the Argo one, then. No problem, but back to rings. Oh, since I was the one who proposed, as it were, you aren't required to give me a ring. It's a bit of a heteronormative holdover. "'Heteronormative,' Dean says, following behind Cass to the next aisle over. "'So in this situation, I'm the—never mind. Screw that. I'm giving you a ring. So do you want it ahead of time, or—' Cass pulls a tin of instant coffee off the shelf and smiles down at it like clearance-doubt pumpkin spice horse shit is something to smile at. "'During the ceremony should be just fine.' "'Ceremony.' There's going to be a ceremony, because they're getting married. What the hell? What's your ring size? Same as mine? Dean twists the band Cass gave him off his finger, and takes Cass's hand in his. As he tries and fails to work it over Cass's knuckle, he realizes something. How'd you figure out what size to get me? I'm a size 11, and your ring finger is just shy of 20 millimeters in diameter. Cass says, voice low like they're in a hushed library archive or a church, rather than under flickering fluorescent lighting set to a soundtrack of Miley Cyrus's early works. Dean leans closer. So that equates to a size ten. And you know that because... I also know the diameter of your aorta. Every bone in your body. Does that answer your question? Dean huffs a laugh and, oh God, they're standing close enough to breathe the same air. Okay, show off. Come on, we're out of cookie crunch for Jack. Dean soon learns there are a stupid number of materials to choose from for wedding bands. Tungsten, titanium, silver, gold, which apparently comes in four different colors. Sounds like bullshit, sort of. And this shouldn't matter. It's not like it's a real wedding. Except he's got enough browser tabs open that he can't read the page titles anymore. What you doing? Jack asks, plopping into the chair next to Dean and startling the shit out of him. He force-closes the window on pure muscle memory, a direct effect of too many years sharing a motel room with blood relatives. Oh, was it pornography? What? No, you just scared me, kiddo. Gotta get you a bell. And how do you know about... Dean pinches the bridge of his nose and sighs. Goddamn internet. I was just, uh, looking for a ring for your dad. That's nice. He has a nickel allergy. I wasn't going to get him some shitty dollar store thing, Dean says, a little offended. Wait, angels can have allergies? If their vessels did, yes. I'm actually allergic to cottonwood trees like my mother. Huh. Sorry about that, man. Jack shrugs, smile undimmed. Anyway, a hypoallergenic metal would probably be best. All right, right, will do. Thanks for the tip. Dean pats him on the shoulder and then opens the browser window again, navigating back to Etsy in the endless stream of identical silver-white bands. No chance you know what he'd like, design-wise. Anything you get him, he'll love, Jack says with unbridled sincerity. As long as it doesn't give him a rash. There's a life lesson in there somewhere. Jack shuffles off. Something about riding his bike into town for some sherbet. Make good choices, Dean calls out, but the truth is, he's not worried. And isn't that something? doesn't feel quite right to buy Cass's ring online with a stolen credit card, for reasons he can't quite articulate. He ends up driving all the way to Hastings in the morning so he can pay cash somewhere. And sure, he got that cash hustling pool and picking wallets off bougie vamps, but whatever. He earned it fair and square. Mostly. On the main drag, there's a place with one of those old-timey neon signs out front and Dean heads on in. It's the kind of shop with a bell over the door and light jazz music playing, and Dean carefully wipes his shoes on the doormat before stepping inside. The shopkeeper doesn't seem to give a shit that Dean is there to buy a men's wedding band, which is nice, because having to murder a bigot would really spoil his afternoon. He lets the shopkeeper talk him into platinum. The design is simple, a wide band that he thinks will suit how stupidly big Cass's hands are. It's expensive as hell, but the color reminds him of Cass's angel blade. It seems appropriate. The guy asks him about engraving. Some couples choose a significant date from their history together, or a nickname, he prompts when Dean stares back blankly. He considers it for a beat until he remembers they aren't a couple. They don't have significant dates, except they do. Or nicknames, except they definitely do. He demurs anyway and heads out to find some lunch while the ring gets sized. When he heads back home, he stashes the ring box in his sock drawer before anyone can ask him about it. You'll still have sex with other people, of course, once we're married. Cass announces in a come-and-go in western Iowa on the way home from a hunt, apropos of nothing. The gas station cashier looks up from scanning Dean's beef jerky and Powerade and raises her eyebrows, which is rich coming from someone who works at a store whose name would be censored on the evening television. The hell, Cass, Dean whisper shouts, elbowing him. Dude has no sense of propriety. I thought it needed to be said. Now? Dean hands the cashier a few bills, avoiding eye contact. The rest on pump 7, please, he tells her. Dean heads for the exit, Cass trailing behind in that particularly huffy way he has, trench coat communicating irritation like it's gained sentience. Man, I've got ghoul guts in my fucking shoes, Dean mutters under his breath, and you decide now is the time to break up monogamy. We can talk about it at home, I suppose. Sam and Jack aren't here, so I thought it would be a good time to discuss it. And it's not about monogamy. Dean squats down to remove the gas cap. It's not. Cass hands him the pump. Monogamy in its present-day usage implies that we're already, or that we will be. Cass trails off, clearing his throat. And we don't. We won't. A metaphysical union of energies is what he'd called it. Right. Nothing else. Dean nods. Got it. Dean stands up and leans against the passenger side door. He crosses his ankles and stuffs his hands in his pockets as he watches the gas meter climb. It's easier than looking at the guy who he currently isn't sleeping with, and according to Cass, never will be. Damn, gas has really gone up so you see why it wouldn't be an issue for you to be intimate with other people. Right, so we'll just be fully, legally married, not to mention cosmically bonded or whatever, and I'll be the asshole with a wedding ring picking up chicks on the side. Cool. That'll do wonders for my reputation around town. Yeah, no thanks. The pump clicks and Dean brushes past Cass to return it to its holder. He might do a little mild stomping as he circles back around to the driver's side, but he's not nearly mad enough to disrespect Baby by slamming the door. When Cass gets in beside him, he seems pissed too, which doesn't make any goddamn sense. What do you mean, no thanks? What do you mean, no thanks? You didn't ask for any of this. Cass says, voice gone brittle. I'm the one who got you into this situation. It's my fault. There's no reason you should have to deprive yourself because of my mistake. The whole thing with the gin happened because you went on that quest to get the holy whatever it was. Sure seemed important at the time. Dean says, then reverses out of the lot like they're being chased, cringing when the tires squeal a complaint. And buddy, for the record, I've been depriving myself all on my own for years now. What on earth are you talking about? Cass snaps bracing himself against the passenger side door as Dean makes a hard left turn for the highway on-ramp. And yeah, it's embarrassing as hell admitting to a dry spell that's lasted longer than a one-term president. But if his pride is already down the shitter, why not flush? Since you... never mind. There was a funeral pyre, and then those months he can barely remember. They don't need to talk about it. It's none of your business, actually. It sort of is, as we're about to be married. God, fine. You already said you didn't want to fuck me, so what difference does it make that I haven't been with anybody since the last time you died? I didn't say I didn't want to. And what did you just say? Dean changes lanes and earns a blare from a semi's horn. So you do want to fuck me. Cass blanches. For God's sakes, pay attention to the road. And you didn't answer my question. What happened after I died? A whole lot of shit, that's what. Beer for breakfast, liquor for lunch, and two hours of sleep a night. Second verse, same as the first, minus the leviathan. It's beside the point, Dean says instead of getting into all of that. Humor me. Since Lucifer, since you died and came back, I just haven't felt like it, okay? Is that what you wanted to hear? Cass frowns. Of course not. Of course not. I'm sorry you haven't had the chance to get your needs met. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Dean sputters at the sympathy. It's not that I hadn't had the chance. I've had plenty of chances. It's just, like I said, I... Haven't felt like it. Cass finishes quietly. Dean drives. In his mind, he flips through the Rolodex of other things they could talk about. The weather. The 2022 midterms. Parasitic tapeworms. Anything. So you want to sleep with me? He says instead, his vocal cords apparently engaging in an all-out mutiny. Cast gulps, audible even over the hum of the highway around them. I didn't say that. You sure as shit didn't contradict it either. That's because lying is a Dean, and I don't want to lie. He says, sounding like a or buttoned-up version of himself. Obviously, I want to be close to you. I always have. Dean huffs and fights back a blush. There's being close, and there's being close. Big difference. I don't know what that means, and this is exactly why I didn't want to talk about my desires with you. I knew it would complicate things and that you'd overreact. Come on, you're the one who told all of Council Bluffs how I'm going to fuck other people behind your back. You started it. It wouldn't be behind my back. It would be with my fully informed consent. I know what I'm getting myself into marrying you. I'm not naive. I'm fully aware that you don't, that that you can't. Cass groans, cutting himself off. It clicks, finally, what Cass is dancing around. Dean turns on his blinker to take the next exit. Finish that sentence. Sure, this isn't exactly how he pictured this conversation going, but whatever. In for a penny, in for an impromptu coming out. What do you know I won't do? Can't do. Whatever. Cass stares resolutely out the window as Dean parks the car in front of a boarded-up cracker barrel. Once the car is turned off, Cass fixes him with possibly the saddest, most resigned expression that Dean has ever seen cross his face, which is saying something. You don't like men, Dean. Not true. Cass blinks at him. I mean sexually, or romantically. Dean sighs. Like I said, not true. Excuse me? You're excused for making assumptions. Dean's being an asshole now, he knows that. It's the only thing getting him through this. So he's a little lacking in healthy coping skills. Sue him. Be serious. Cass says, voice cracking. Would I joke about this? He's an asshole, but not that kind of asshole. Come on. I don't know. You shouldn't, though. Well, then good thing I'm not. Figured you knew already, anyway. The way Cass is staring at him makes him feel itchy. Are hives a normal side effect of admitting you like dick? Like back when you reanimated my corpse or whatever. It was all in there back then. Surprisingly, I couldn't decode your sexual orientation from the patterns of your blood vessels. I said I knew your ring size, not the things that make you feel things. Uh huh. Okay. So now you know. They lapse into silence. The winter wind slides through the gaps in the Impala's exterior, and Dean wishes he'd left the heat on. He starts the car when it gets cold enough to see their breath. Chapter 3 The rest of the drive is quiet. Well, it's quiet after Dean presses play on whatever cassette happens to be in the tape deck, and it's blatantly sexual right from the jump. This is not the time for juice-squeezing, honey, or inches of everything. Read the room, plant. Jesus. From what Dean can gauge out of his peripheral vision, Cass is inscrutable as he was back in 2008. With his hands folded neatly in his lap, he's giving off nothing but classic, heavenly neutrality. Which Dean knows from experience means he's really anything but. Dean's leg starts bouncing and he picks at the stitching of the steering wheel cover, even though it's a bitch to find an authentic replacement. He needs a cigarette, and he hasn't smoked since high school. He needs the platonic ideal of a cigarette. He needs Cass to say something. Anything. Thank you for telling me, Cass says quietly, just as Dean hits the third of three red lights in what should definitely be a one-light town. Goddamn county highways. It's an honor. I know it wasn't easy. Dean shrugs like a recalcitrant teenager in a made-for-TV movie, and fusses with the frayed edge of the faux leather, like he can materialize new stitches out of thin air. He's fine. Totally fine. Sure, he hasn't told anybody what he told Cass in a while. It's just, with guys, it's never been anything serious. Nothing more stirring the pot over. They fight God and demons and horror show monsters. It seems a little small potatoes to make a big thing out of where he fits on the Kinsey scale. Just figured you ought to have the whole picture, he says, glancing at Cass just as the light turns green. So now you know. All my cards are on the table before you go marrying me. The corner of Cass's mouth quirks up, but the smile doesn't reach his eyes. In twelve years, Dean has done a lot of necessary worrying because of that particular smile. Cards on the table. Right, of course. He keeps his foot light on the pedal until the highway speeds start up again, but it's a challenge. He wants to fucking drive. This doesn't make it weird or anything, right? That we're both, you know. Dean asks. Nothing's changed? No, Dean. Nothing's changed. When they get back to the bunker, there's something waiting for them on the war room table. At first glance, it looks like an impulse buy from some cheesy Hogwarts-themed gift shop. A deep purple envelope with swirling gold lettering across the front. And not that Dean would put it past Sam and Jack to take a field trip, but Universal Studios is a bit of a haul from Lebanon. Dean drops his bag and picks it up, and a sprinkle of iridescent glitter flutters to the floor. Great. He's going to be sweeping that shit up for weeks. Glitter, the herpes of the craft world. When he tries to read what's written on the envelope, the letters seem to shift and twist in resistance. Not that Dean can read whatever language this is written in, anyway. Sam, Dean calls out, and sure, he could have sent a text, but why bother when you live in a concrete box with perfect acoustics? Ah, I see my notification was received. Cass says when he spots the letter in Dean's hand. He shrugged off his jacket and rolled up his sleeves, like this is a place he actually lives. It's a good look on him. Dean should get him some slippers to really complete the picture. Nothing says I'm home like a pair of slippers. Who knows, maybe there's even an extra robe lying around. I was wondering when the Jin Council would reply. Dean hands the letter over to him. And rubs his glitter-contaminated fingers on his jeans, knowing his luck. The stuff probably causes hair loss in a case of the clap. Wait, I missed something. When did you contact the gin? Sam bounds around the corner right on cue. Hey guys. Yeah, Cass and I did a dialogue ritual before you took off. Sam says breezily, like opening a line of communication with a clan of ancient, malevolent monsters is a milk run, which for them maybe it is. Nothing too fancy. Myrrh, the string of an ode, a crane feather, and some blood, obviously. Get this, the hardest thing to source? Pomegranate arrows. Have you ever tried finding a fresh pomegranate in rural Kansas? Not easy. Cool, and nobody told me. Sam's the smart one, right? You want a ritual done, you go to Sam. It's fine. Cass pauses in careful examination of the envelope to look at Dean, brow furrowed with concern. You weren't being purposefully excluded, Dean. It was very early in the morning. I didn't want to wake you. You haven't been sleeping well lately. Dean blinks. How'd you know I... We've run out of coffee twice this week, and you put Red Bull on the grocery list. Not to mention that you fell asleep during Gladiator at the motel last night. I know how to read the signs. Dean catches Sam grinning out of the corner of his eye and feels the need to move the conversation along. Anyway, bet Jerry at the post office had some questions about this letter. Dean says, imagining his face. The guy gets tetchy about selling stamps, so magic mail with no postage is probably a bit out of his comfort zone. Actually, funny thing. I heard this weird sound yesterday while you guys were gone. It sounded kind of like someone knocking. And, you know, given that this is a secret bunker and all that, I got my gun and went to check it out. Nobody was there, but the letter was just, like, floating mid-air outside the door. Cass hums and nods like this is all perfectly above board, and slides a translucent piece of paper free from the envelope. Dean hovers at his shoulder like he can read Old Aramaic better than he can read Korean. Cass's eyes scan right to left over the shimmering gold text. They have some demands, he says after a beat. Photographic evidence to support the authenticity of your claim, Dean. My claim? Sam doesn't snicker, but the sound he makes isn't far off. There'll be time to kill him later. He's got more pressing concerns. Dean, this entire gambit depends on the queen accepting that you've usurped her, Cass says. So yes, they want to see proof of your claim as my rightful spouse if they're going to let me out of my contract. Sam pulls out his phone, aiming it at them. Don't you dare, Dean says, holding up a finger in warning. At least let me take a goddamn shower first. And the lighting is terrible in here. With what must be every shirt in his closet spread out on his bed, Dean evaluates his options. Is this really all he's got? Not a single sweater in the mix. Instead, it's a sea of flannel and band shirts with holes in the armpits that he's used to impersonate every flavor of law enforcement for the past decade and a half. His one good Henley is in the wash, and there's nothing left that even whispers engagement photo. As he's considering swallowing his pride and borrowing something from Sam, there's a quiet tap on the door. Yeah, come in, Dean says without turning around. He could pick up the soft scuffling of Cass's shoes out of an auditory lineup any day of the week. I don't mean to rush you, but Jack is home and he wants to help. He insists that for optimal photos, we don't want to miss golden hour. I'm not entirely clear what that is, but it seemed important. Dean scrubs a hand through the too-long hair at the back of his head. Sure, okay. I'll just be a minute. I wasn't sure what to wear either, Cass says. And not that it matters, but I like the gray one. It brings out your eyes. Dean grunts out an acknowledgement and then listens as Cass's footsteps fade into the echoing halls of the bunker. He wears the gray one. Up on the roof, Dean sees what Jack meant about golden hour. Even though it's nearly freezing out here, Cass looks warm. Getting free from the bunker's fluorescent lighting and 1950s color palette has taken 10 years off of him. And he smiles when he catches Dean looking. Not staring, just looking. Looking at a crime. Posing presents a challenge right from the jump. Dean can't figure out what the hell to do with his arms. He stuffs his hands in his pockets elbow-bumping casses as they stand awkwardly side by side. Go figure, apparently this isn't romantic enough. On Pinterest, couples usually stand closer together. Jack says from his perch in a director's chair he must have materialized from another dimension. It lends him an air of directorial authority Dean can't possibly argue with. They try an arm around the shoulder. No big deal, they've done that before. It's not like anything has to be different now. And sure, in the past, they've only gotten this close when one of them was on death's door, but whatever. He can put an arm around his good-looking buddy who wants to sleep with him without it being a whole thing. Sam sighs loudly when he stops snapping photos long enough to look at his phone screen. What, man? Dean says, starting to get self-conscious. Sure, he's not a catalog model or anything, but come on, he cleans up all right. It's just, these aren't going to convince anybody. Sam says, swiping quickly and grimacing in a way Dean really doesn't appreciate. No offense, but you guys look like, I don't know, co-workers maybe? Or racquetball buddies? Maybe if your hips were touching? Jack pipes up. I think fiancés usually let their hips touch. The hell, our hips are- Oh. Uh, Dean looks between him and Cass, eyeing the careful distance where their bodies don't meet like oil and vinegar in a poorly shaken salad dressing. Cass's hand on his waist tightens, drawing him against the warm, solid line of his body, and Dean is viscerally reminded why they don't do this. He can feel each of Cass's fingertips as if they're on his skin, and Dean really should have picked a thicker shirt for this. He looks at Cass from closer now, and like he always does, Cass looks steadily back. That's better, guys. Just keep doing that, Sam says. And of course, now that he's said it, it's weird, so Dean looks away. Sam groans. What about kissing? Jack pipes up. The couples sometimes kiss in the pictures. What couples? Dean says. And like, kiss, kiss? The ones on Pinterest. I can show you my engagement photo boards later. Actually, Jack, I think we can take it from here. Cass says, his hand still snug on Dean's waist, and it's ridiculous how nice it is. God, it's been a while. Are you sure? Jack asks. We could try more poses. There are so many possibilities to choose from. The kid is so excited about the whole thing that Dean almost feels bad, but really he's just grateful Cass picked up on how much this whole situation is giving him heart palpitations. Buddy, Cass is right, I think. Sam says, putting a hand on Jack's shoulder and steering him gently towards the stairs. It's sweet, watching a being who's more powerful than God letting himself be led. We'll give you guys some privacy. Once they're out of view, Dean pulls his phone out of his pocket. So, a selfie, I guess? How do you want to do this? He holds the phone out, trying to get them both in the frame of the rear-facing camera with the sun in his eyes. Cass turns them both until they're practically chest-to-chest, his hand is skating across Dean's back before settling at his hip like it's taken out a 30-year lease on the property. Dean swallows, mouth gone dry, as he doesn't let his gaze drop any further than Cass's eyes. His mouth is right there, though, so it's tough. We're not. You don't think we actually need to. Take the photo, Dean. Dean clicks the button several times. Cass sways ever slightly closer, until Dean can make out each individual eyelash. He clicks some more, and then entirely forgets to breathe as Cass brings their foreheads together. Dean shuts his eyes and clicks. Do you think you got a shot? Cass says quietly a long moment later. They're standing so close that Dean can feel the rumble of his voice in his chest. And thank fuck Sam and Jack left because it allows Dean to hang on past the point of plausible deniability. Maybe a few more, just to be sure. Chapter Four The nearest suit shop with a decent in-store selection is nearly an hour away. So Dean bribes Sam with the promise of boba tea and the control of the stereo to come along. There isn't exactly time for a tailor, so he's going to have to make do with something off the rack. He'd have taken Cass instead, but he and Jack are headed into town for haircuts at the barbershop that has the best selection of gumball machines across the Great Plains leaving Dean to cope with mid-aughts indie rock all on his own. Sam looks at him weird for the first 10 or 20 miles before he finally opens his mouth. Man, what are you doing? What, with the suit? I was thinking maybe gray. Can't go wrong with a classic. No, I mean the whole thing. The wedding, being married. How's all of it going to work? Like, I need to know if you're getting an annulment in a month or if I'm buying you a toaster from your registry. What the hell is going on? What are you talking about? I thought you were cool with all this. I was cool with it, but then you guys went and... A complicated hand gesture follows that even decades of siblinghood can't translate. We what? Instead of answering, Sam dramatically sighs and pinches the bridge of his nose like he only does when he thinks Dean is being particularly stupid. It's rude, is what it is. Dean wipes him out. I saw the photo, okay? Sam says, eyes fixed to his knees. Ah, okay. The one where we're... It's a damn good photo, with the sun setting behind them and their profiles looking all cinematic and shit. Super romantic. They aced the assignment. Say, I'm still not looking at him, though. Like Dean's the one being weird right now. Yes, that one. I had to help Cass use the printer. Apparently the general don't have email. And? Also, side note, we have a printer? When did that happen? Dean, just tell me the truth. I can't believe I'm asking this, but... Are you guys together? Like, for real? Or is this still just a bit? Dean doesn't answer right away. Instead, he turns onto the main drag in Grand Island, into the mostly empty parking lot shared by a pet co in a men's warehouse. He parks in the back of the lot, hopefully keeping Baby out of range of shopping carts and general idiocy. It's not a bit, Sam. We're... Come on, you get it. He really hopes so, anyway. It just is what it is. I don't get it, though. And what the hell does that mean, it is what it is? Are you going to do married people stuff? Like, are you picking out bedding and dishware? Getting a joint checking account? Dean laughs, unclipping his seatbelt and turning off the ignition. (laughs) That'd be the day. Picture it. A supposedly dead felon and an angel with no social security number or last name walks into a Wells Fargo. That's not my point, and you know it. Just, are you sure about this? Or, let me ask it a different way, are you inviting people to the wedding? Dean examines his hair in the rearview mirror and futzes with the front where the styling cream didn't set right this morning. Then he checks his teeth for good measure. Dude, we know like four living people. Hunting and assorted cosmic disaster has really taken a toll on their contact list. Speaking of the dead, Dean shoves away the thought of what either of his parents would have said about all of this. His mom would have come around, he's pretty sure. But John? Good thing the bastard's reliving his glory days up in the celestial hamster wheel and won't have shit to say about anything at all ever again. That's not true, but even if it was, do you want them to come? Does it seem like the kind of event you want people you care about to witness? Dean pictures it. There's not going to be a dry eye in the house once they get through the vows. But she still needs to write. Shit. I mean, Eileen, obviously, and it'd be cool if Jody, Donna, and the girls were there. God, Claire's going to have a field day with this, good or bad, it remains to be seen. God love her, but the girl is a wildfire stuffed in a circus cannon. She'll behave herself if Cass asks her to, though. Probably. So we're going to invite them all to watch you marry Cass. Which is not a bit but just is what it is, apparently. See, I knew you'd catch up, Dean says, getting out of the car and making a beeline for the shop with Sam trailing along behind. The sound of his purposefully heavy footfalls on the pavement let Dean know he's still being weird. The lady folding ties at the checkout counter asks them if they need any help. Dean demurs and heads for the racks at the back of the store where the sale stuff is. He tabs through the selection of old man three-button suit sets as Sam pretends to study a display of pocket squares when Dean knows he's really on his phone gossiping. Eileen says she'll be there. She sends her congratulations. Tell her thanks for me. It's nice that he knows at least one person who can be normal about this. Polyester, polyester, red-crushed velvet, white linen... He's about to give up when he comes to the only suit in the row that doesn't look like it's intended for either an octogenarian or a high school junior. His size in a soft, deep blue wool. It's a nice color. Kind of reminds him of something. He grabs a shirt and a tie to complete the ensemble. Sam sets up shop on a well-worn bench outside the row of dressing rooms as Dean tries it all on. Even though his shoes are scuffed to shit, The mirror is warped, and the jacket sleeves are a little long. The look still works. She also says that Cass is too good for you. Sam calls from the other side of the curtain as Dean battles with the bow tie. It's been a minute since he's had the occasion. Man, don't I know it, he replies distractedly, while he watches a quick YouTube tutorial on mute. The bow comes out a little akimbo, but it's good enough for now. He pulls back the curtain so he can check his ass in the three-way mirror. Looking good, he says to his own reflection, checking his angles. Silence from his audience of one in the cheap seats. Come on, man, throw me a bone. Sam looks up briefly from his phone and gives him a half-assed thumbs up. Jody says she has some, uh, follow-up questions for you. Says to call her right away when we get home. Dean winces, so he's in for a grilling, which he should have expected. Jody's love language is interrogation, after all. He buys the suit. Then, feeling magnanimous, he only mocks Sam's horrible choice in boba tea flavor for half the trip home. Who orders strawberry milk when taro or lychee are right there, honestly? You're absolutely sure about this? Jody says. Why is everybody asking me that today? Dean says, pressing the phone to his ear with his shoulder. His hands are busy. Making a roux is a pain in the ass, but it's the only correct basis for mac and cheese. Is it because he's a dude? He knows as soon as the words leave his mouth, he's made a mistake. Excuse me? She says, and Dean can practically hear her eyebrows hit her hairline. Shit. Let me retract that. Too late. You know, I don't give a flying heap of crap about who you want to do the dirty with. Don't you go changing the subject. I asked if you're sure about this. I thought you guys were just friends. Little by little, Dean adds the milk now that the flour has cooked a bunch of pepper, some salt, a little mustard powder, and paprika, then whisk, scrape the sides, and turn the heat to low to let it simmer. We are friends, that's the whole thing. And he needs me for this, Jody, come on. The guy's gone to bat for me a hundred times, it's the least I can do. And that's all there is to it? She asked gentler now, like Dean is a spooked horse in a thunderstorm. Dean thinks about a soft blue suit, a platinum ring paid for in cash, and the way Cass's eyes looked last night from up close. Yep, that's the whole story. Jody lets out a slow, audible breath. Okay, so Friday's the big day? Yep, the courthouse at noon. I reserved the party room at the Tex-Mex place across the street for after. Just then, the pasta pot starts to bubble over, spilling onto the cooktop and sputtering onto his apron. Shit, Jody, I gotta let you go. Bit of a situation over here. All right, we'll see you in a few days, hon. Call me anytime, though. I mean it. Cass pauses the episode of Chopped right before the last round starts and turns to Dean. Their knees are touching now underneath the blanket, which is no big deal. So many things are no big deal. Why can't everyone else understand that? There's something I wanted to talk to you about, Cass says. It should only take a minute. Then we can get back to the program. I'm very invested in how the chefs will use sauerkraut in their desserts. No problem. Shoot, buddy. It's about the marriage rites. Dean grabs another handful of popcorn. Oh, yeah, a kiss and some hocus-pocus, right? Yes, that's one way of putting it. Our energies, most of my grace, will be consumed in the ritual to unite them, and a small portion will flow into you, creating an equilibrium. Uh... Dean sits back on the sofa, pulling a knee up to his chest. How much are we talking about? Enough that I'll become human, or mostly human anyway. Dean inhales sharply. Shit, and you're okay with that? Cass smiles, and it looks sincere. Not at all like he's trading away everything that he is to be stuck forever here, with Dean. I am. It'll be different this time around. I won't be alone. Yeah, you've got that right. Understatement of the year. Dean will be damned if he lets Cass get a paper cut for the rest of his life. And no, he doesn't want to examine that feeling. So, will inhaling your god juice do anything to me? If you say I'm going to grow wings, I swear. No, no, at least I don't think so. This hasn't exactly been attempted before. Probably just a minor enhancement to your senses. Some of your soul's energy will also enter me. Man, flowing and entering? Are we sure we want other people around for this? He rubs at the back of his neck and clears his throat. It all sounds a little, well, horny. The exchange happens during the kiss. From the outside, it shouldn't look any different than a typical human wedding. But speaking of other people, the jen are sending an emissary to serve as an official witness a human. What, liaison to monsters is a job? Apparently so. Her name is Brenda. She's an accountant from Tucson. Apparently, her work with the Jin community is on a remote, ad hoc basis. Huh. Sweet gig if you can get it, I guess. So do we need to, uh... He makes the universal symbol of ganking a finger across the throat. No, we don't need to kill her, Cass says seriously. She specifically mentioned that she doesn't facilitate violence, only cross-species diplomacy. That's a relief. Not very romantic to bury a body before cutting the cake. Cass looks at him strangely. I suppose not. The moment stretches. She's required to observe the wedding itself and to make an assessment of our behavior's authenticity for another day or two more. Dean thinks of medieval bedding ceremonies, a crowd waiting around a curtain to bed. How closely is she going to be, um, observing us? I made a reservation at the Buckshot Inn. If we're seen entering and leaving together, that should be enough. It isn't difficult for me to act like I care deeply for you, because I do. The thing is, he hasn't actually heard that from too many people. He's going to try to not be weird about it. Me too, obviously. Cass smiles and the room gets brighter. He unpauses the show and Dean settles back into the couch. If he leans against Cass's shoulder a little, who's going to know? He's about to marry someone who cares deeply for him. He's allowed. Chapter 5 The night before the wedding, Dean decides to take Cass out to the nicest, read only, joint in town. Sam had offered to throw them whatever passes for a bachelor party around here, but Dean had passed. He doesn't need all that. And anyway, on Thursdays, Lenny's bar has tater tots and pickle chips for only two bucks a pop, and who can pass up that kind of a bargain? He and Cass get a bucket of beers and a pile of fried deliciousness to split and pick a booth shoved into the back corner by the broken jukebox. Say, I was thinking, Dean says as he watches Cass evaluate the relative merits of blue cheese versus ranch dipping sauce. What type of kiss should we do tomorrow? Cass pauses in his condiment deliberations. What are our options? Dean swirls a tater tot through ketchup. You know, there's the kind of kiss you do in church, or the kind you do in a dive bar bathroom stall. Heh, <laughs> those are fun. Or they're those awkward first kisses, and old married couple kisses. Kisses where you're trying to get somewhere, and other ones where the kiss itself is the whole end game. I have to admit, I'm not the most well-versed in the distinctions. It's okay, let me explain. Dean says, giving himself a pat on the back for his generosity. He pushes the pickle chips to the side and leans in, conspiratorial. Not to brag, but I am kind of an expert. Professor Emeritus at the School of Sucking Face. Cass smiles, fond. I wasn't aware that that renowned institution gave out diplomas. Only to the best and brightest, the creme de la kissing creme. Then, by all means, share your wisdom. Teach me. And that, that's a little hot. He's not going to lie. All right, all right, twist my arm. Let's cover the basics. For instance, most people would probably tell you that open mouth versus closed is the determining factor. Oh? Dean holds up a finger. But hang on. Making out is great, don't get me wrong. Lips and tongues and all that. For a truly great kiss, it also has to do with the hands. The hands are critical. I see. Cass pauses and sips his beer. His mouth looks nice as he does it, fitted to the lip of the bottle. So what should the hands do in the best type of kiss? So many options. Hands on the sides of their face, cupping their jaw. You can run a thumb over their cheekbone then, too. Good stuff. That shit's romance, 101. Same with fingers in the hair, or one hand on their waist and the other hand on the back of their neck. That's sexier, a little possessive. A lot of people are into that. Are you into that? Cass asks, air quotes included. Dean huffs, grinning. I'm into everything. He considers, thinking of his greatest hits. There's been a lot of bangers. Hands on their hips or their ass, tugging them closer. That's good too. Or on their back, a little scratching if it fits the mood. Cass takes a long pull of his beer, and Dean watches his throat work, because he's a red-blooded American man. And you like all of these options equally? Cass asks seriously, like he'll be quizzed on it later. No preferences, one way or another. Hard to say. Different times, different places call for different types of kisses, Dean says with a shrug. It's important to read the room and get a sense of the vibe. The vibe, of course. So how would you kiss me here, in this particular room? I i thought we were talking about tomorrow. Indulge me. Consider it an applied learning exercise. Dean swallows, and it plays out in his mind. The lean, the breath right before the kiss. If this was a date and it was going good and the moment was right, I guess I'd I'd ask if you wanted to get out of here. I'd say yes, Cass says quickly. And then what? Dean exhales slowly through his nose and stares at the neon Coors Light sign on the wall just above Cass's right shoulder. Then I'd probably do something stupid like get you up against the wall next to the dumpster outside and kiss you dirty enough to risk getting arrested. Cass inhales sharply. And you deserve better than that. I do, Cass says, head tipped to the side. Maybe I want to be kissed next to a dumpster. Dean laughs, raising his hands. All right, all right, to each their own. To be clear, I want to be kissed by you next to a dumpster. It's not a general preference. You want, Dean says, mouth gone dry. He points at himself like an idiot, but he's never claimed to be anything else. Cash just nods. Like, now? Here? You don't want to wait for tomorrow? Cash just looks at him with unmistakable intent. Okay, I'm just gonna... I'm gonna pay the tab. And get a to-go box. Dean forgets the to-go box and overtips at the register. This isn't a great time for math. Cass is waiting for him at the door. Outside, Dean grabs his hand and leads him past a group of smokers huddled under the street light, then into the alley where it's quiet. It's cold as fuck out here, but something tells him this isn't going to matter for long. Dean cups his cold hands together and blows into them. So, we're just gonna... Cass reaches a hand forward, curling it around the back of Dean's neck to gently pull him closer. His broad palm feels like the best kind of possession, like Dean is his to keep. It turns out, being kept might be all Dean's ever wanted. Is this correct? Cass asks, breath fogging between them. Yeah, buddy, you're doing great. Cass tucks his other hand inside Dean's jacket where he's left it open, settling it against Dean's hip. He takes a step closer steering Dean backwards until he feels the press of the cold cement block wall at his back. Something's missing, Cass murmurs, and Dean holds his breath with fist clenched in Cass's coat. You said there would be a dumpster. Dean laughs, dropping his forehead to Cass's shoulder. His nerves fizzle out like firecrackers in wet grass because Cass is still Cass, and there's something so goddamn reassuring in that. What, not enough ambiance for you? I think the dumpster is around the corner. As it turns out, I don't give a damn about ambiance. Cass says, staring at his mouth. The moment stretches, seconds expanding. Go for it, Dean says, and he barely recognizes the voice that comes out of his mouth. I want you to. And then Dean is being kissed. Thoroughly kissed. He knew it'd be good. How could it be anything else? He feels like gravity has lessened its grip, helium in his veins as he gets Cass's tongue in his mouth. For Dean's part, he's trying to climb inside Cass's clothes, under his skin. To be absorbed entirely would be just fine. Some amount of time later, Dean pulls back, breathless. You lying son of a bitch, he rasps, acting like you need my help. Cass just hums and noses his collar to the side so he can suck at the skin there, fingertips digging into Dean's back. Shit, you could teach a seminar, lead workshops. God, yes, that's... Christ, that's it. It's good, the kind of good that, in his experience, only happens to other people. It's a whole new experience, being kissed by someone who knows him as well as Cass knows him. There's no discernible reason why a thorough grasp of his shitty childhood and favorite western should make a kiss this good, but it does. We're getting married, Dean slurs with his eyes shut tight and his hands at the back of Cass's shirt, greedy for warm skin. He's stone-cold sober but swaying on his feet, drunk on oxytocin and the thrill of finally not pulling his punches when it comes to touching Cass. Oh my god. Cass hums, kissing up the side of his neck until he takes his face in both hands, cradling. He's pulled into another kiss, and the building ebb and flow of it has Dean overheating like he's sixteen instead of forty, fumbling with Cass's belt buckle before he realizes what he's doing. Cass stills his hand with a touch to his wrist, and when Dean looks up, he's breathing hard, eyes wide and wild. Is it... is this okay? Dean asks, going from blissed out to worried in two seconds flat. Too much. Did I fuck it up? No, no. There's just something I need to tell you. Maybe I should have mentioned earlier. Dean's stomach drops, and he regrets the pickle chips from earlier, along with basically every decision he's ever made in his life. Cass takes a fraction of a step backward, putting frigid air between them. It's about something you said. Dean racks his brain sifting through the cotton candy fog that evidently comes with kissing your best friend. It was probably nothing, right? I've said a lot of stupid shit over the years. The other day, you said you were putting all your cards on the table. Full disclosure before we go ahead with this. Yeah? Cass's expression takes on a familiar battlefield look Dean would rather never see again. I think I should do the same. Dean laughs nervously. I'm getting wings, aren't I? Knew I wasn't coming out the other side of this normal. Cash shakes his head. I said before that marrying you would only work to break my contract with the gin if the bond between us was strong. I may have understated things. So marrying me won't do the trick? What do I have to do, man? Tell me, come on. Whatever it takes, we'll get you out of this deal. I ain't losing you to some monster who read one too many harlequins or whatever. Cass smiles, but there's an ache to it. I appreciate that. I know you would move heaven and earth for those you care about. Quite literally, when necessary. Please understand, I'm grateful. More than I can say. This additional requirement, though, it's not something you can just do, exactly. It's more of a state of being. And it doesn't need to be reciprocated, so the marriage ritual will still work. That, I'm sure of. What the hell are you talking about, man? Throw me a bone. What's this extra requirement? Cass tips his head up at the dark sky like he's searching for a version of God who never existed. Then he looks at Dean again. The same look he's leveled at him a thousand times. Ten thousand. It has a weight to it, a tidal pull. Love, Dean. Specifically, the state of being in love. And I am with you. Run that one past me again? He misheard. He hallucinated. He astral projected. There's no way. I'm in love with you. The reason the marriage will break the contract is because I'm in love with you. And have been for some time now. For how long? Oh, my friend. Cass says with a laugh that sounds halfway to a sob. So very long. The whole time, of course. Okay, all right. Dean pinches the bridge of his nose, squeezing his eyes shut as 12 years' worth of memories rewrite themselves in a mad scramble across his brain. And you're telling me this now? Well, I hadn't planned to tell you at all. Cass says plainly. I'm very sorry that it's come to this. What? You're sorry you love me? I mean, fair, but come on. Oh, no, not at all, of course not. Loving you has been the best part of my life. I wouldn't change it for anything. Then what the hell are you sorry for? Cass tilts his head. Are we fighting? You're upset. Hell yeah, I'm upset. You've been in love with me since I crawled out of a grave, and you didn't say anything until the day before our wedding? Well, I did say some things at various points in time, just not that particular configuration of words. Dean closes the distance between them, shoving at Cass's chest. Cass lets himself be pushed a step backward, then another until it's Dean who has Cass pressed against a wall. You should have told me. You weren't going to tell me? Ever? You were just going to take that little piece of information to the grave? What would burdening you with my feelings have accomplished? Cass says, with a manufactured calm, his chest rising and falling quickly under Dean's hands like he needs the extra oxygen. I thought through every possible scenario a million times. The resulting awkwardness, the strain in our friendship, or worse, losing you entirely. Besides, like I said, how I feel satisfies the ritual. Nothing is required of you. Nothing is required of me? What the hell? Wait a goddamn second. You think I don't reciprocate? I already told you, you're my best friend. And I appreciate that, but Dean, the way I love you... It's not exactly within the bounds of friendship, and it's perfectly okay that you don't feel the same. Your friendship is more than I deserve. Bullshit. And stop telling me how to feel. You aren't getting it. I bought you a ring. I paid cash. You didn't have to do that. It's platinum, since you're allergic to nickel. That was considerate. Thank you. And I know how you take your tea. And which Beyoncé album is your favorite, and every time you've left, it's fucked me up. What are you saying? I'm saying I love you too, I guess. Now that he's said it, it's suddenly obvious. A law of nature. You guess, Cass says, with eyebrows raised and the hesitant beginnings of a smile. Yeah. You're still yelling. This doesn't seem like something people usually yell about. I'm mad. Fucking furious. I see. And just to confirm, when you say I'm your best friend, you mean... That I love you. In love with you, or whatever. But you think I don't love you the way you apparently love me, and I do, Cass, I do. Seriously, what else do I have to... Oh, for heaven's sake, Cass says and kisses him. It's the kind of kiss a person doesn't recover from. Dean gets his hands and Cass's hair, and he pours everything into the kiss. All the fury, all the loss, all the times and all the ways he's wanted Cass and not had him. He has him now. No point in holding back. Their hips slot together and he's got Cass's dick riding against his thigh. And that's the moment the rattle of bottles and cans announces that the bartender has decided to bring out the trash. Hey, uh, fellas he says, clearing his throat awkwardly. He's got to be new at this, because there's no way what they're doing would make even the top 100 most graphic things that have happened in this alley. You can't do this here, okay? No offense or nothing. Dean releases his grip on Cass's hips and holds up his hand. Then taken. We were just headed out, weren't we? Cass nods, eyes blank and unfocused. Wonder struck, even. Dean did that all on his own. The bartender skirts around them toward the back of the building, hoisting the garbage bag from step to noisy step. What happens now, Cass says, once the bartender is out of sight around the corner. I don't want to presume. Dean toes the gravel with his boot and fiddles with the buttons of Cass's coat. He can't stop goddamn smiling. Presume. Didn't you say we got a motel for tomorrow night? How about we check in a little early? Cass takes in a sharp breath, looking at him hungrily. Like now? Yes, please. Chapter 6 Once they're inside the Impala, Cass pulls up directions to the motel on his phone. 21 minutes. But that's so far, Dean groans, eyeing Cass and then the back seat in an obvious unspoken question. It would hardly be the first time he's made do with baby's luxurious bench seating in a sexual emergency. No, Cass says. Absolutely not. Drive, Dean. All right, all right. Dean starts the car. This whole thing we've got going on has been building since the Bush administration, but sure, you're too classy for a little backseat action. Hardly. I'd accept a cornfield at this point, but I'd prefer to avoid frostbite and the police. Dean shudders. Fair enough. I'll get us there in 15. Watch me. You have my full confidence. Cass rests his hands just above Dean's knee, brushing his thumb along the outside seam of his jeans. As a result, Dean nearly rams a utility pole when he reverses out of the parking lot. He mentally apologizes to Baby, then gets the car onto the highway by the grace of God. When Cass's palm slides up to mid-thigh, though, he's ready to insist on the merits of a cornfield. Frostbite is no big deal either, in the scheme of things. Who needs all their toes, anyway? Dean drifts onto the shoulder and hits the rumble strip before he can jerk the car back into the lane. Cass's hand stills, and Dean catches the barest hint of a grin. You seem distracted. Huh? wonder why, Dean says, swallowing hard. Just from this, that is very flattering. Cass' gentle grip tightens briefly before he returns to tracing shapeless patterns with his fingertips, each an individual point of electricity that sends shivers at the back of Dean's skull. What can I say? I'm a simple guy. The dude I'm apparently in love with has his hand on my thigh. While Dean attempts to continue breathing, Cass trails blunt nails slowly across the top of his knee. I understand. Physical contact. It's distracting. I remember every time we've touched. Dean thinks back. Like, every time? In detail? There's been the occasional hug, fewer than half a dozen, he's pretty sure. A hand clapped to a shoulder or wrist, in restraint or encouragement. Or two fingers to check a pulse when things went all pear-shaped. Those times shouldn't count, though. 196 instances, not including incidental or accidental contact, of course. Or what just happened in the alley. And yes, in perfect, distracting detail. Whoa. Dude, that's awesome. What was the best one? Besides, you know, recent events. By what metric? Cass says with a raised eyebrow. What set of statistical principles are to be employed? Should the emotional significance of the contact supersede the physical intensity, or vice versa? Dean is immediately transported to a rapidly unfolding fantasy of Cass as a college professor, sleeves rolled up as he scrawls formulas across a blackboard. You pick whatever metric you want. Cass looks away, out of the window at the pitch-dark night. Dean's never asked. But he figures Cass can see just as well at midnight as he can at noon. More than that, he probably knows the family history of every field mouse in the county, and the scientific name of every star in the sky. He'll never completely understand what Cass is doing riding shotgun with his mortal ass. But when Cass looks back at him, the way he looks back at him, Dean's starting to get an idea. In the beautiful room all those years ago, in Van Nuys. You recall, I'm sure. Dean nods. You grabbed my shoulder, and I let you. For the first time, I could feel it. Really feel it. The flexion of each of your fingers. The width and breadth of your palm. Angels weren't designed to know such things. Let alone to like the new feeling. To want more. I let you move me, and you haven't stopped doing so. It's... Dean clears his throat. That's a damn good line. It's not a line, Cass says, looking back at him steadily. No, I know, I just... You have a real way with words, man. Here, turn your hand over. I'll show you something elsewhere new. Cass complies, and without looking away from the road... Dean drops his right hand from the wheel and runs the tip of his middle finger lightly from the inside of Cass's wrist up to the center of his palm. Cass gasps. Dean traces around the base of each finger and skates the edge of a nail across the groove of his lifeline, back and forth. In his peripheral vision, he can see Cass's mouth fall open and his eyes shut. You liked my hand on your shoulder figure this might be a bit of a step up. how do people survive? Is it like this usually? Uh, no. I don't think any of this is usual, not for me anyway. Sex is great, sure, but touching Cass, Dean threaded their fingers together, his thumb drawing circles across Cass's palm before pressing into the thick muscle at the base of his hand. Cass groans, head tipping back. Kinda uncharted territory here. A car passes them, buzzing by as soon as the line dividing the two-lane road turns from solid yellow to dashes, and Cass fixes him with a stare that feels like a sunbeam on his cheek. Drive faster, please. Eighteen minutes still to go. Shit, sorry. He hits the gas climbing from 55 to a respectable 64 miles an hour. Got a little sidetracked. You've got really nice hands, man. Is that so? What's nice about them? Cass holds his free hand up in front of himself, looking at it curiously. I don't know. They're big for starters, and the fingers are. He trails off because he's thought all kinds of thoughts about these fingers, and the English language is limited. They're nice, he traces Cass's very nice index finger from knuckle to tip. Cass shivers. I like your hands as well. Cass's voice is dazed, punch drunk. I like everything about your body in case that wasn't abundantly clear. The back of Dean's neck heats up even though the air coming out of the vents is still deep December cold. Oh. Uh. Thanks. I can tell you more about that if you'd like, Cass says dreamily. But I'm sure you've heard it all before. The thing is, he hasn't. Sure, he's been getting the come-ons and bars and once-overs literally everywhere else since he hit 16. But people don't generally get too wordy about it. And that's... that's fine. It's not like he needs it or something, but it might be nice. Every once in a while. It's been a minute. Don't get out much these days, you know. And anyway, I haven't heard it from you, so if you're offering. He grins at Cass, hoping for flirty and knowing full well he's coming across eager. Cass doesn't seem to mind, and he looks him over slowly. It feels like being undressed, like being spotlit and naked for an adoring audience of one. Your shoulders. I like those. And your kneecaps. The pattern of freckles across the bridge of your nose. Did you know that you have four freckles on your ears? Three on your right ear and one on your left. That one is my favorite. Let's see, I like the way your hair looks wet. Oh, and the precise curve of your spine, obviously. This is weird as hell. He's not sure if he's saying it to convince Cass or himself. Meanwhile, his dick has the audacity to get hard. It is. Should I stop? Hey, now, didn't say that. He palms himself just for a second, rearranging, really, all above board. Cass smiles. There are whole components of your body that I appreciate in a way no one else ever could. I've made a study of you. Shit. Dean shifts in his seat and stretches his legs out a bit, trying to give his overzealous dick and ego a little room. Your gait, for example. Genuvarum. Bow-leggedness. The congenital condition was exacerbated by a childhood vitamin deficiency, which I have some thoughts about. Putting that aside for now. The allergy your knees seem to have to one another is more charming than you can possibly understand. I think I get it, Dean says, shaking his head. I'm weird about you, too. Like, did you know you tie your shoes funny? And there's this little curl in your hair at the edges that drives me kind of crazy. You've tried every flavor of sparkling water available within an 80-mile radius. I like the bubbles. Cass says, brow furrowed like Dean's about to argue the merits of carbonation. I know, and I like that about you, too. I don't think there's anything you do that I don't like, really. You've seen the way I look at you, right? I didn't know what it meant, as it's been the same since we met. A pause as Dean lets it sink in for Cass, what he just said. Dean, were you attracted to me when we met? I mean, you show up, celestial guns blazing, and yeah, I was into it. Still am, in case you missed that. I'm starting to get an idea. But more reinforcement couldn't hurt. Replication is the bedrock of science, after all. Dean hits a red light at the empty intersection, where the highway meets the edge of town. It's a perfect opportunity to pull Cass in by the back of his neck and kiss him. He means to keep it brief, but the light does at least a couple cycles from red to green before they pull apart. Turn left in two blocks. Cass murmurs from a scant inch away. What? We're nearly there. The hotel is just around the corner. Chet, that went fast. Dean checks out the dashboard clock. Told you I'd get us there in fifteen. Fifteen minutes and forty-nine seconds, but that's neither here nor there. The vacancy sign is lit up, and there's only a smattering of cars in the parking lot. Dean thinks about kissing Cass again when he turns off the car, but he instead draws on a lifetime of self-denial to get them some real privacy first. Hey, grab the duffel from the trunk, he says to Cass, tossing him the keys while he checks and rechecks that all the doors are locked. Cass shoots him a curious look from across the top of the car. What? Why are you looking at me like that? You have a bag. Here. Of course I have a bag, Dean says with a shrug, stuffing his hands in the pockets of his jacket. It's freezing out here without even the decency to snow and make the cold cinematic. I'm not an amateur. So, to clarify, before we went out tonight, you packed a bag. Uh, yeah? The next world-ending shitstorm is always just a phone call away, so it's a good idea to be prepared. I mean, it's not like I thought... This, he gestures between them, was going to happen. I just keep a go bag on hand for emergencies. Is that what this is? An emergency? That same near deadpan grin Cass has been sporting all night appears again. Mildly smug is an annoyingly good look on him. In the sense that there definitely wasn't time to swing home and pack a duffel, yeah, this was an emergency. I wish you didn't have any spare clothes at all. Cass says, frowning at the duffel before shrugging it onto his shoulder. That would be ideal. I don't understand why you need them. So I'm marrying a dog. go figure. And yeah, I see your point, but I need a toothbrush, some clean socks, my razor. Dean ticks off the list on his fingers as they make their way to the motel office. That's another thing, actually. I like your facial hair. Quite a lot. Cass holds the office door open for him, and Dean steps inside. Oh, thanks, I guess. So you don't need a razor, either. I'm not using your angel blade again, man. Had enough of that in purgatory. That shit's hazardous. He's still got a few hairline scars on his neck to prove it. You could consider growing it out. Just a little. For me. It gets itchy. Dean scratches at the day-old stubble on his cheek. Not if you keep it well moisturized. There are products you can use. I've been looking into it. You've thought about this. You've researched. Of course. If it concerns you, I've thought about it. You need reading glasses, by the way. And arch supports in your shoes. What? No, I don't. How is that by the way? That is definitely outside the way. There's a sound of a throat being cleared, and then Dean notices that they aren't alone. What'll it be, fellas? the clerk asks, and if he heard the way they were talking, he doesn't show it. A true pro. Two queens or a king? Two queens, Dean answers on baked-in instinct. Cass elbows him in the side. Shit, uh, a king, actually. Let me see. The guy peers down through Coke bottle glasses at a paper calendar duct taped to the desk. Honeymoon suite is free tonight, if you're okay with paying the extra twenty bucks. I got a couple checking in tomorrow, though, so you gotta be out by ten. Oh, we're that couple, actually, Cass says. We'll take the room. Hey, works for me. One less load of towels for me to wash. Congrats, I figure. Dean hands over his best credit card in exchange for the key, complete with a neon pink heart-shaped keychain. The room is at the end of the building, next to the vending machines and the semi-truck parking. Dean's hands only shake a little bit as he fits the old-fashioned key in the lock. In the room, there's one bed, because of course there is. That's what they asked for. No rickety fold-out couch to speak of. One bed in all its maroon, paisley glory that they're going to be in together. How are you feeling? Cass asks, coming to stand beside him, a solid presence at his side. Dean blinks, shaking himself a little. What? Why are you asking? It's a question you haven't been asked enough, and I'm asking now. How are you feeling? What do you mean? For example, are you nervous? No. Dean answers quickly. He reaches down to poke at the comforter and immediately regrets it. It's made of polyester and 30 years of bad sex. He wipes his hands on his pants. Okay, are you apprehensive? Hey, that's just another word for nervous. I'm not nervous. Well, I'm a little nervous, Cass says, turning to set the duffel bag on the dresser. Dean catches his eyes in the mirror. What the hell? Why? It's just me. Cass nods seriously. Precisely because it's you. Jesus, Cass. Dean crosses over to him, gets a hand on his shoulder to turn him around and back him up against the cheap dresser. 90s faux oak wasn't made for the way Dean kisses him, and the way Cass kisses him back. A push-pull like it's a competition to get under each other's skin. He also stops being nervous, which he definitely wasn't in the first place. Anyway, it's impossible to be nervous when the kissing is this good. Cass seems to be loosening up too, if the definition of loosening up includes weaseling a hand up the back of Dean's shirt to set blunt nails against the skin of his back. Dean does his best to get them both undressed without breaking the kiss. The buttons of Cass's shirt are on the wrong side. The undoing of his belt buckle is as hard as solving a Rubik's Cube in the dark. Eventually, Cass steps away to tow off his shoes and pants, and Dean watches with bated breath like he's at the world's most expensive strip tease. The business of getting the comforter off and themselves situated against the sheets takes just long enough to bring back a twinge of nerves except now Dean knows the cure. He reaches for Cass, pulling him on top and slinging a leg over his hip to keep him there before fitting their mouths together again. The movement comes easy, the rolling grind of it, like he's been here before even though it's all uncharted terrain. They'd left their underwear on, which was a mistake in hindsight. He needs everything immediately and it makes his hands stupid and clumsy as he tugs Cass's dollar store boxers down over his ass. He's thought about that ass a lot over the years, and it's good under his hands, better than anything, the best thing ever. That is, until Cass maneuvers out of his boxers and sits back on his heels, dick hard against his thigh. Oh my God, fuck me. Dean blurts out. No point walking it back when he means it. Cass skates his hands up the outsides of Dean's legs, and Dean lifts his hips to let him pull his boxers off. Then Cass stares and makes no attempt to hide it. It feels sort of holy to be stared at like this. Like Cass is making him into something better, dirtier, and cleaner than he's ever been. There are... So many things I want. Cass says, eventually, still staring. We can get to all of them. Plenty of time, sweetheart. But what first? Cass says, eyes nowhere near Dean's face. You can touch me some more if you want. If I want, Dean, I... He tips his face to the ceiling and Dean gets a clear view of his neck. He wants to bite it. Or maybe build an altar to it. Something low-key with at least a million candles. Where? Anywhere. Just don't ever stop touching me. Dean thinks. The dick is a classic, for starters. Let's see. Not really into feet, but, uh, nipples. Some people like that. Hmm. I see. People. Cass leans over him. Hands on either side of the mattress for support. He traces the tip of his tongue across Dean's left nipple. And the barest bit of wet pressure has Dean clenching a fist in Cass's hair. Sorry, sorry, Dean says and grabs the sheets instead. Cass looks at him. Why are you sorry? It's rude, Dean says, shrugging. Didn't mean to get grabby with you. But I liked it.
3: That's something I like. Do it again. Oh.
0: Uh, okay, that's that's cool. Good to know. Dean places both hands carefully on the sides of Cass's head, fingers slipping through his hair, thumbs at the corners of his blue, blue eyes. Cass returns to his chest, kisses across his collarbone and then down again, this time to suck instead of tease. He adds the hint of teeth, and then Dean pulls his hair for real. Shit, honey, Dean says, arching up against Cass's mouth, a none-too-subtle request for more, harder. Cass gives him harder. It's sensory overload, a breathless shock that focuses the entirety of his attention on his own body and how good it feels to exist in it. When Cass repeats the action on the other side, he takes just as much time with it, and Dean doesn't think he could rush him if he tried. He wouldn't want to, anyway, especially not with the way Cass is starting to move his hips, the wet head of his cock dragging against Dean's thigh. Oh, my God, you like this, Dean says, marveling a little. I can't believe you, actually. I like this very, very much, Cass answers, shifting forward so he can kiss Dean again. It brings their dicks into shocking, point-proving alignment and Cass snaps his hips forward on impact. Dean gasps against his neck, breath coming hot against hot skin as Cass rolls against him. It'd be so easy to come like this, just from this. He doesn't want to come yet, or anytime soon. A resolution that is immediately tested when his dick catches on the ridiculous curve of Cass's hip as they move together and Cass sucks at his neck. It's definitely above the collar, and Dean doesn't give a shit. Quite the opposite. Yeah, you can go harder. Come on, mark me up. Cass groans and then obliges with kiss bites across the top of his shoulder. It pulls him back from orgasm and turns him on even more, whatever that means. If Dean gets what he wants, he'll have a neat row of bruises in the morning. Hopefully ones that last. Evidence that Cass wanted him bad enough to eat him alive. Cass looks down at him, at the marks Dean can feel forming under his skin. He traces the edge of one at the junction of neck and shoulder with a finger, and Dean shudders. They don't hurt, Cass asks, brow furrowed. Nah, not really. It's the good kind, anyway. The best. Promise. Cass bends down again, softly kissing where teeth had been before. Like an apology or benediction. Dean gets his hands on Cass's back, on the span of his broad shoulders where other dimensional wings used to be. Cass fits so well between his legs like this, and it's only natural, the easiest thing, to wrap a leg around his waist. Cass's dick slides neatly into the crease of his inner thigh, and a shudder moves through both of them like tidal waves, almost like fucking, almost as good as Dean knows that's going to be. You can touch me, Dean says with a rasp, suppressing the please, please, please. I am. I mean more. You can touch me the type of way that'll help you fuck me. Cass just looks down at him in an unasked question, at their bodies pressed together. Your fingers. I want them. Dean lets his legs fall open an invite, and takes one of Cass's hands in his. Cass goes unresisting as Dean guides it to where it should be, pressing the tips of Cass's fingers against his hole. Dean watches his throat work in a dry swallow, his mouth then falling open like the air around them has gone oxygen thin. Loop in my bag inside pocket, Dean says, gesturing vaguely at the dresser. Cass nods, clumsily getting up from the bed. Dean got an angel to lose his balance, and he gives himself a moment to be proud while Cass finds what they're both after. Dean shuts his eyes, listens to the click of the bottle opening, the wet sound of it on Cass's fingers, and then waits. There, the first soft touch, Cass tracing a slick circle, keeping him on the edge of overwhelm as Cass's other hand, cupped around the back of Dean's thigh. He's ready, so ready, and Cass must understand, because he gives Dean one of his perfect fingers, steady and filling him up.
3: Fuck, that's so
0: good. Yeah. So, so good. God, yes, I can take another. Give me another. Cass doesn't, at least not right away. The careful, sentimental bastard can't be rushed. And because Dean knows this is what love does to a guy, he tries his best to relax. The room is so quiet with just the sound of his own open-mouthed breathing, like this is the only motel in the world with properly insulated walls. Cass curls his finger just when the thoughts in his head start getting a little too loud, when he starts thinking about how he must look spread out like this. Oh my god. Cass squeezes his thigh and adds a second finger. Oh, my fucking God. Cass's two fingers go slower than the first, stopping for lube before Dean thinks to ask for it. He tries to watch Cass watch him. The expressions that move across his face are gorgeous and awestruck, but it's so much easier to just sink into it, to let his eyes shut. Eventually, his legs start to cramp, courtesy of one too many vertical trips down flights of stairs via a pissed-off ghost or a creepy-crawly. He ignores it because a little Charlie horse isn't going to get in the way of how it feels to have Cass touching him like this. Cass must read it on his face anyway, and he pulls his fingers out. No, 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 I'm good, Dean argues. Come on, keep going. Your tensor fascia latte was starting to spasm. That's... shit. Why is it hot you know that? Cass smiles. If you change positions, that should relieve it. I want you to be comfortable. Dean is not going to get misty-eyed over that, absolutely not. He rolls to his stomach, graceless because there's no way to do it gracefully. He grabs at a pillow and stuffs it under his hips, groaning when the heel of his hand makes contact with his dick for a second. With his head resting on his folded arms, he can acknowledge Cass is right. He is more comfortable now. Cass leans over him and presses a kiss between his shoulder blades, over his spine. Goosebumps break out over his skin as Cass kisses down his back, before placing his hands gently on Dean's ass, thumbs just barely teasing at his crack. There's a sound of lube again, and then Cass slides wet fingers between his cheeks. Dean opens his legs wider and keens when Cass slips a curling finger in his hole again. That's perfect, Dean. Cass murmurs, even though Dean isn't doing anything but laying here like this. Maybe that's enough. He eventually manages to get his knees underneath him so he can rock back against Cass's hand. Cass makes it even better when he gets two fingers inside and straightens them, letting Dean fuck himself. I want you now, Dean says, mouth open as he pants against his arm.
3: Condoms in the bag.
0: Cass stands to retrieve them, and Dean's head clears enough to think for half a second. He lifts his head to find Cass's eyeline. Wait, do we even need him? Not for disease prevention reasons, no. Cass says, expression serious. You're perfectly safe. But if you would be more comfortable. Fuck that, I want to feel all of it. In the quiet of the room, he can hear Cass's swallow and the juttering breath he takes as he settles back between Dean's knees. The head of his cock is velvet against Dean's lube slick skin, and the blunt pressure against his hole sets him shaking with how much he needs it. Cass doesn't make him wait this time, and nothing hurts as he gets filled up with every inch of Cass's cock. Cass pets at Dean's sides, his back, and his ass eventually curling his hands under and around Dean's shoulders and lowering him to the bed. He's covering him with his body completely now, cock buried inside. He never pulls all the way out, instead keeping their bodies closer than Dean has ever felt to another person during sex or otherwise. The pressure on his prostate is perfect, blinding and building as Cass kisses the back of his neck. Without seemingly any effort at all, angels go figure. Cass sits back on his heels. Taking Dean with him so he's propped over Cass's thighs. It changes the angle, and Dean grinds down to get as full as possible. Cass keeps one arm wrapped across his chest, and with his free hand, he starts to stroke Dean's dick. Oh, fucking shit! He makes the mistake of opening his eyes and looking down, and gets the sight of Cass's shiny fingers wrapped around his dick. Holy, hang on, hang on, slow. Cass stops stroking, leaving his hand curled close around the base of his dick. When he's managed two or three full breaths, Dean starts rocking back into Cass's lap, with Cass's hand working on the same rhythm. Above and beneath and around him, getting fucked every way he wants, just about. Fingers on your other hand, put them in my mouth. Cass obliges setting his teeth into Dean's shoulder when Dean sucks hard on his index and middle fingers. He nearly blacks out when he comes, the orgasm inescapable and snapping along his synapses like lightning through a weather vane. He writhes in Cass's arms and Cass fucks him through it. Boneless, Cass pours him back down against the bed and slides free of the grip of his body. He uses both hands to turn him over, Filthy wet with Dean's cum and spit. Dean does the hard work of opening his eyes. Worth it a million times over for the way Cass looks at him while he fucks his fist. Dean thinks what he wants as hard as he can. A silent prayer. Cass's gaze snaps to his, eyes wide. You heard me, Dean says. Please. Cass nods, his hand working faster. He towers above him, Dean's new god, and comes. It catches Dean's cheek first, then his chest, sliding into the dip of his collarbone. Warm and dirty, and so, so good. His phone buzzes once, then three more annoying times, before Dean manages to open his eyes. There's daylight leaking between the cheap blinds and polyester curtains, and a clearly sleeping Cass is huffing quiet breaths against his shoulder. Dean swipes at the bedstand stand to peer blearily at the screen of his phone. Shit, it's 11.15. He's got three missed calls and a bunch of texts from Jody, Claire, and Sam. He opens Sam's first. 7.30 a.m. Where are you, man? 7.46 a.m. I can't find Cass either. Is he with you? 8.58 a.m. Dean. 10.06 a.m. Is the wedding still on? Did the Jen show up? Answer your phone. 10.48 a.m. I'm going to the courthouse. Bring in your suit. And Cass is too, I guess? If you're dead, I'm going to kick your ass. Claire and Jody's texts are much of the same, worried and threatening in equal parts. Dean drops a vague but reassuring message in the group chat, handling three fretful birds with one stone. Cass, hey, we gotta get up, he says, nudging at Cass's shoulder. Cass grumbles and burrows deeper into the bed. We're going to be late. Cass blinks an eye open at him. It's eleven-sixteen. The courthouse is only four blocks from here. I'm going back to sleep. Dude, we have to shower. And since when do you sleep? Whenever I want to. And last night, I wanted to. You're a very compelling sleeper. Thank you? Dean says, opting to interpret that as a compliment. Cass nuzzles closer again. Nah, come on, sweetheart. Dean practically drags him out of bed, fully aware Cass is letting himself be dragged. The combination bath-shower is a deep red with pink tile, which is a lot to face mere minutes after waking up. Gotta admire the commitment to the theme, though. With Cass slumped against his back, he unwraps a bar of soap from the counter and fiddles with the tap till it's hot enough to steam up the glass. Cass follows him into the tub and takes the soap out of his hands. He turns Dean towards the shower wall and places both of Dean's hands against the tiles. Stay. Dean swallows and nods. They really don't have time for whatever this is, but hell if Dean is going to stop him. Cass grabs the shower sprayer, soaking Dean's hair and skin, and then working up a lather with the soap. He starts at Dean's shoulders, sudsing and then rinsing down his back. He reaches around to work over his chest and stomach, and Dean doesn't even try to suppress a moan. Dean feels his neck go hot when Cass's soapy fingers slide between his ass cheeks, getting him clean and turning him on, as if he needed any help in that department. Turn around, please, Cass says, and when Dean does... He's not remotely prepared for the way Cass looks when he drops to his knees in front of him. Dean pushes the longish hair at Cass's temples behind his ears and tries to remember how to breathe as Cass washes his legs and even his feet. Never one to leave a job half finished, Cass curls a soapy hand around his cock and strokes. Shit, baby, you look so goddamn good. He gets a smile from Cass in return. Maybe even a little shy, and that just won't do. Best thing I've ever seen. Gonna keep telling you until you're tired of hearing about it.
3: You can tell
0: me, Cass says, rubbing the slit of his dick with his thumb. I think I like it when you tell me things, and when you call me baby. Cass twists his body out of the shower spray, letting the water sluice across Dean's skin. He leans forward, lips to the head of Dean's cock in a kiss. Oh my god. Cass opens his mouth, his tongue soft on the underside of Dean's dick as he takes it inside. Dean curls his fingers into Cass's wet hair, no pressure, just touching. He leans his head back to rest against the tile and lets Cass work on him. When his legs start to shake, Cass presses him against the wall with strong hands on his hips holding him up until he comes into Cass's perfect mouth. Clean and dirty and clean again, they get dressed with only a few instances of sabotage. Tying Cass's tie for him, for instance, leads to an unavoidable makeout that nearly knocks the mirror off the wall. You could tie me up with this, Dean says, thinking aloud once he finally gets around to threading the knot. Dean, it's already 1146, Cass says with a heavy sigh, looking dismayed at the unceasing march of time. Dean finishes the simple four-in-hand knot, and then loosens it a little until Cass looks exactly as he should. Maybe later, then. Plenty of time. You mean after we're married. Oh my god, after we're married! They smile at each other, and since there's no one else around to make Dean feel stupid for it, he lets the look linger as long as he wants. Which, it turns out, is pretty damn long. Eventually, Cass leans forward with a hand raised and gently undoes the careful side part that Dean had combed his hair into earlier. I like your hair the way you usually wear it. Cass says, You should look like yourself today. Dean leans into the touch like he's always wanted to. He kisses the inside of Cass's wrist, threads their fingers together, and they head for the courthouse. Chapter 7 Without Dean having to ask, Cass keeps a steadying palm on his thigh for the two-minute drive to the courthouse. In the parking lot, Dean pulls the car in next to Jody's familiar truck and gets an excited wave from Donna in the passenger seat. The Smith County Courthouse isn't exactly a happening place on a Tuesday morning, so it's easy to spot Eileen leaning against the trunk of her valiant a few spots down looking cool as hell in a leather jacket and boots. The second he's out of the door, he's swallowed up in a warm hug from Donna as she squeezes the breath out of his lungs with tears in her eyes. She moves on to Cass, giving him a blushing, two-handed handshake. Jody's approach is a little different. She puts both her hands on Dean's shoulders and looks him in the eye for a long beat. She lets him go with a decisive nod, like she found whatever she's been looking for. How are you feeling on the big day? She asks, as she futzes with his hair, her eyes a little misty. Good, Dean says. Cass moves to stand beside him and places his hand low on Dean's back. Really good. Eileen walks up to join them, dark eyes flicking between Dean and Cass, and her mouth pulling into an impish grin. Nothing ever gets past her, and Dean's pretty sure she clocked him and Cass long before they got around to it. She hugs them both quickly, still grinning when she pulls away. I'm about to win some money, she says happily. Thanks, you two. Dean smiles and rolls his eyes. Obviously, there's a betting pool on his love life. Why wouldn't there be? He just wonders if it predates the Obama administration. Cass looks at Eileen questioningly and removes his hand from the small of Dean's back to sign to her. Dean's learning, but they go too fast for him to make out everything. He catches the sign for love and something about hearts and eyes. His attention is redirected by the sound of squealing brakes. It's Claire's shitty two-door Nissan, pulling into the lot and sending shivers down his spine. He wonders what it would take to talk her into something more respectable that isn't made out of paper-thin plastic and late-stage capitalism. He worries about that girl, and always will. Sure, she's tough as shit. But so is every full-grown deer that wanders onto the interstate. After Claire and Kaya get out, Dean has the joy of witnessing Sam extract himself from the back seat, like a giraffe emerging from a suitcase. I drove separately. Had to deal with a werewolf in Springfield. Eileen says to him by way of explanation once she can stop laughing. Worth a few scratches to see that. Sam shakes out his joints and looks around. Cass interlocks his fingers with Dean's. Sam notices. Dean watches his expression shift from confusion to wide-eyed astonishment. Understandable given that nobody is trying to drag anybody out of purgatory or away from certain death, the usual excuses for hand-to-hand contact. Sam makes his way over, sidestepping delicately around the puddles of half-melted gray snow and ice with a suit bag slung over each arm. Dean squeezes Cass's palm. Uh, hey guys, Sam says. All good? You're, uh, everything's normal? Nobody's under a curse or made a deal or anything? Yeah, Sammy, we're really, really fine. We are both doing well, Cass adds in a serious tone. Thank you for asking. Okay, and that's great, guys, really. So glad to hear that, but just... Sam looks around to make sure the rest of the crew is busy in their own rapid-fire conversations, then drops his voice to a whisper. What's going on? Is the observer lady watching? Is that it? Dean huffs a laugh and shakes his head. Nah, uh, not that. We've just figured a few things out. Together. Cass looks at him with an appraising smile that takes Dean's mind back to the way he looked on his knees in the shower a half an hour ago. Yes, Dean is right, Cass adds. Much ground was covered yesterday, emotionally and physically. A pause. Oh, Sam says. Gotcha. I could live without hearing anything else about the second part. But I'm happy for you guys, really, that's great. What's great? Jody asks, sidling up next to Sam and clapping a firm, affectionate hand to his shoulder. Sam clears his throat. Dean and Cass were just telling me that they, uh, communicated our feelings for one another and consummated our relationship. Cass says, and even though Dean's face feels hot enough to melt all the snow across the Great Plains, he can't argue with facts. Oh. Hey now, about time. Hear that, girls? Jody calls over her shoulder to Claire and Kaya. You owe me twenty bucks. Each. Congratulations, guys, Kaya says, the only socially appropriate person in this motley crew. Claire, meanwhile, flashes him a shark-tooth grin and socks him hard enough in the shoulder to send him reeling back a step. You dorks couldn't have waited till 2025. Damn, how much money was riding on this, Dean says, laughing and rubbing his arm. Enough, let's just leave it at that. Jody says, taking a couple of crumpled bills from Claire that Dean is sure will end up back in Claire's backpack before the end of the day. Let's get this show on the road then, yeah? You boys ready to get hitched? He looks at Cass until they lose a moment just smiling at each other, until Sam clears his throat. I think that's a yes, Sam says.
3: But first,
0: where is Jack? Cass asks. Hello, Jack says from behind them like he materialized out of thin air. Hell, maybe he did. I just got here a few hours early to scope everything out. Checked for hex bags, warding, nefarious sigils. Everything is in order. There's also a publicly accessible bathroom next to the property assessor's office, where you can change your clothes. It smells better than the one next to the sheriff's office. Hey, thanks, bud, Dean says, pulling him into a hug. Jack hugs back, arms around Dean's middle like the little kid he really is. Cass and Jack hug next, Cass's hand cup gently around the back of his head and Jack's face pressed tight against his shoulder, like it's the safest place on earth. Well, gentlemen, Donna says, rubbing her hands together. It's colder than a brass toilet seat in Siberia out here, so... Sam hands them their suits, and the highly armed procession of everyone he loves heads on inside. After a quick trip to neighboring stalls in the assessor's office bathroom, Dean and Cass meet up with everyone in the courthouse foyer. That is, after Dean had taken one look at Cass in his suit and immediately backed him up against the wall between the hand dryer and a wrinkled poster advertising pneumonia vaccines to kiss him about it. There's a woman sitting on a bench in the courthouse foyer, half hidden by the coat racks. In the nicest way possible, she's absolutely forgettable. Khakis, sensible shoes, a pilled cardigan. She's even doing a sudoku. Good morning, Brenda, Cass says to her. She looks up, reading glasses perched on the end of her nose. She's straight out of at central casting. No one would ever guess her side gig, which Dean supposes is precisely the point. She gives Cass a mild smile. Who the fuck is Brenda? Clear stage whispers from behind them, and Dean whips his head around to glare at her. He needn't have bothered, as Jody already has that covered. Claire ducks her head, temporarily cowed. Hello, Castiel, Brenda says. And this must be Mr. Winchester? Dean holds out his hand and she shakes it perfunctory. Just Dean is fine. Dean, then, shall we? She swaps her Sudoku book for a legal pad from her tote bag and tucks her pen behind her ear. The hallway to the county clerk's office seems longer than Dean remembers since the last time he was here, to renew the tags on the Impala. Either the 200-year-old building has undergone an expansion, or Dean's a little nervous. It's got to be the former. It smells like dust and printer ink in here, though de bureaucracy. The endless hallway is decorated in the loosest sense of the word, with yellow plat maps and black and white photos of old white men who look like they were born with handlebar mustaches and problematic views on women. The county clerk checks their IDs and the marriage license, then leads them into a small windowless office to wait for the judge. It's a bit of a tight fit for a dozen people, and he ends up stuffed in a corner with Cass. This close, he can make out the tiny geometric bees on Cass's tie, and the unmistakable fact that Cass must have borrowed his aftershave. He wants to bite him. Remember, Cass says quietly, this is important. When we kiss, it will get a little. The door opens and Judge Eddie peeks his head through. He's wearing sneakers with a robe, which kind of pisses Dean off. Sue him, he was hoping for a bit of gravitas today. He'll have Sam crop those beat-up sketchers out of their wedding album for sure. Oh, hell, this room's way too small, the judge says. I told Darlene to put you folks in the conference room, come on now. They all shuffle out after him, Cass and Dean in the rear of the line. He's a little casual, isn't he? Dean mutters. It's a good thing Dean didn't create a mood board for today, because this conference room would not be on it. Notes from a board of supervisors meeting are still scrawled across the whiteboard. Tax revenues and audit dates. Super romantic stuff. All right, who am I marrying? Judge Eddie says, taking up position at the head of the table. That'd be us, Dean says, gesturing between him and Cass. To his credit, Eddie doesn't bat an eye and waves them to the front. Dean doesn't take that for granted in central Kansas. Okay, and which of these lovely people are the witnesses? Sam and Jody raise their hands. Good, good. And you got your paperwork? That's all in order? Let's do this thing, shall we? Dean takes Cass's hand in his. Sure, he's held a hundred different magic knives, god-killing guns and the fate of the world in his hands. But right now he has to will his palms not to sweat. The judge pulls a well-worn index card from the pocket of his robe and starts to read. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to join these two men, Dean Winchester and Castiel Novak, in lawful matrimony. Do you gentlemen have something written for vows, or do you want me to just... He points at the card, which probably has the usual stuff about obedience and honor. Their relationship can't be condensed to a Ken Burns documentary, so a laminated note card isn't going to cut it. Just before Dean interjects, Cass beats him to it. Dean, I love you to the fullest extent of the word. In as many ways as there are to love someone, that is how I love you. When we met, I loved you immediately, exactly as you were then. And I've loved every iteration of you since. Threaded between each word, Cass says, Dean can hear the fathomless truth. I loved you in hell, on earth and in between. I loved you as a demon and loved you as wholly yourself. I loved you laughing and loved you drunk on rage and grief. Dean blinks fast and swallows. And there is yet more of you to come. Versions that don't yet exist and I will love each one. I will be there for each one. I will be there to see you rested and to see you happy. I will see it because we will make it so. Together. The thing is, Dean believes them. Jesus, he actually believes them. Fuck. Him and Cass riding off into the sunset. When nothing was knowable, I knew you. In worlds where nothing was real, you were flesh and bone. You were the daily sunrise, even when the earth was off its axis. And somehow I get to sleep beside you every night for the rest of my life. The way Cass speaks sounds like the kind of thing prophets hear in the desert. Something holy. Somehow we have more time. I never, Dean, I never thought we'd have time. Please, please marry me. Easiest yes of my life, Dean answers immediately. And Cass kisses him. When Dean can take a breath, it isn't air. Or it isn't just air, it's Cass he's breathing in. When the kiss ends, he can feel the rotation of the earth beneath his feet and see every gradation of blue in Cass's eyes when they open to meet his. Hello, Dean, he hears Cass say from inside his own mind. Or maybe from inside Cass's? There isn't much difference between what's yours or mine right now. Don't be afraid. This should pass soon. I'm not scared of you, Dean thinks. Never have been. Well, <laughs> you fellas sure know how to cut to the chase, Judge Eddie interjects with a good-natured chuckle. You got anything you want to add before we wrap this thing up, Mr. Winchester? might be a little out of order, but your uh, vows were a little short. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I want to say something, too. I've got promises to make, Dean says. There's a hush in the room, the palpable weight of everyone listening. Good thing Dean is well beyond the reach of stage fright at this point. I love you, because I've never met anyone who can do what you do. The corner of Cass's mouth quirks, and images come to Dean over the telepathic wire of what Cass must think of as his own greatest hits. Molotov cocktailing Lucifer, taking down demons and monsters and corrupt cops, saving Dean and Sam over and over again. Dean shakes his head, determined to get his point across. I don't mean the stuff that makes you useful. It's the way you love people. I've never known anyone who can do that like you do. He thinks of Jack, his face pressed against Cass's steady shoulder. Claire, sardonic and jaded, but still carrying around a grumpy cat plushie in her duffel. It's the way you love the whole world, really. And especially the way you... Shit. Sorry. He swallows and blinks at the ceiling for a moment. The way you love me. Cass squeezes his hands, and once Dean can look at him again, his eyes are filled with tears. All Dean is getting from his mind is colors, radiance. You see things in people they can't see in themselves. Their goodness, the potential they've got locked up tight in their heads. I can't even explain what it's like to have someone like you believing in someone like me. For as long as I'm breathing. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give that kind of love right back to you. Cass pulls him in with a hand on the back of his neck and they're kissing again. I reckon it doesn't hurt to seal the deal a second time. The judge says warmly from somewhere that sounds very far away. What happens next? Dean whispers when they pull apart. Cass looks towards the back of the room and Dean follows his eyeline, past the joyful faces of their friends and family. Brenda is there, and she gives them a reserved smile and a nod. Dean's shoulders sag with relief. They did it. (laughs) What happens next is the easy part, Cass says with an overjoyed laugh. Smiling wider than Dean's ever seen him do before. You and me, from now until the rest of it. Always. The end. Thank you so much for listening. Like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be spelled out and embarrassed Like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be spelled out and embarrassed. Like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be. Sp- like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be spelled out and embarrassingly. <coughs> Like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be spelled out in embarrassingly lart. <laughs> like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be spelled out in embarrassing. Like the idea's obvious absurdity needs to be spelled out in embarrassingly plain English. Why not? Remy, shut the fuck up. Could you please possibly shut the fuck up? Or, like, get all your barks out. Bark, 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 done. But this 10 to 15 seconds between each bark
3: is annoying. FYI.
0: At the rate Dean's headed, maybe one of those jumbo... (sniffs) At the rate Dean's headed, maybe one of those jumbo pickle jars of... (laughs) At the rate Dean's headed, maybe one of those jumbo... <laughs> at the rate Dean's headed, maybe one of those jumbo pickle jars full of jelly beans at the county fair. Dean says, fishing in his jacket pocket for his billfold, that he still keeps on him. Yeah. Dean says, fishing in his jean po- No! Dean says, fishing in his jacket pocket for his billfold that he still keeps on him out of 40 years of habit. Dean says, fishing in his jacket pocket for his billfold, that he still keeps on him out of 40 years of habit. Does hell count? Given our line of work, it doesn't seem like it should, but... Shut up! all my animals so loud today. Given our line of work, it doesn't seem... Given our line of work, it seems like it shouldn't, but whatever. Here's five bucks, kid. Are you coming in or not? You're so annoying. Hey turd. What? You're annoyed. He misheard. He hallucinated. He astral projected he misheard. He hallucinated. He misheard. He hallucinated. He misheard. He hallucinated. He astral project- Damn it. This whole thing we've got going on has been building since the Bush administration, but sure. This whole thing we've got going on has been building since... <clears throat> this whole thing we've been building on has been... This whole thing we've got going on has been building since the bishop. What set of statistical. I knew I wasn't going to get that one. What set of statistical. If you change positions. If you change positions. If you change positions. Why?